This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, CJ Force from thefeelgoodlab.com explains how they were able to get early success when launching on Amazon. On today's episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that drove 40,000 visitors a day before ever having a product in inventory. In this episode, you'll learn how to know when you have the right timing for launching a product, how to determine if a PR agency will be a good fit for your business, and how to turn angry customers into rabid fans. Today, I'm joined by Travis Beck and David Fisher from Paracable.com, co-founders, uh, both co-founders of Paracable. Uh, Paracable sells premium fabric-wrapped iPhone, iPad, iPod, iPad, and Android cables and started 2012 and based out of Houston, Texas. Welcome, Travis and David. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you. For sure. So I'm um, excited to have you guys on. Uh, like, I, like I described, premium fabric wrap iPhone uh, and Android cables. Can you give us an idea of what are some more popular products out of the, the catalog that you carry? Yeah, so well, right now, yeah, we have the lightning cables and we have the micro USB cables. And within those um, two different categories of cables, we have a few different uh, really vivid colorways that we sell on, on our cables. The most popular product is our lightning cables by a lot. And I'd say the most popular color is uh, the blue colors for sure. We have yeah. a couple different ones of those. Very cool. Yeah, I really like the product because um, oftentimes I get my cables mixed up, especially if you get the ones straight from the, uh, I guess, the manufactured yeah. ones that come with the packaging. All white, yeah. Yeah, this is really cool because you can kind of choose the, the, your own the look, essentially, and never have that issue again. One of, one of the, the, the big selling features of our cables that we didn't even realize because we didn't have families when we started it is people with large families, they have a bunch of kids and everyone has their own color. So mm-hmm. no one argues about which one is mine, which one is yours solves that problem too that's fine that's always great that you have this additional benefit to the product that you didn't know existed um so speaking of yeah. uh coming up with the reason for this like how did you guys come up with the idea behind this product so 2012 the iphone 5 came out and when the iphone 5 came out they switched from the old 30 pin cable to the new lightning cable mm-hmm. and they've, they've stuck with it since then but um when it first came out you know, everyone had probably had 20, 10, 20, 30 of the old 30 pin cables, but you only had the one that came with your phone. And, um, uh, in October, my wife and I adopted a little cat named Baxter and his favorite thing to do was to find the lightning cables and absolutely destroy them because the ones that come from Apple, they have that really soft sort of flexible kind of rubber coating on all, mostly all of their cables have that on it. And, uh, cats really, really love chewing on those cables because they're soft. So after he destroyed about ten or so, <laughs> that was that was that was enough. So uh, I got with uh, David and was trying to figure out a way to protect these cables. And um, one of the ideas we came up with was to wrap it in paracord. So um, David put together a prototype that he built. He basically just took a, a lightning cable from Apple and cut it in half. 
or towards the end and spooled it through a, uh, some paracord and heat shrinked it back up and showed it to me. And it was amazing. So we started from there. Um, that was the original genesis, genesis of the idea was to basically solve a problem that I had. Very cool. Yeah. I think that that's a common approach, right? Where you solve for your own problem because you couldn't find any other solutions out there that, that, uh, met your criteria or that worked the way you wanted. So you came up with this idea to wrap it in a pair cable. Now, how did you know that other people might want this as well? Because obviously solve your problem. How did you know that this was a problem that others had and that they would pay for? So uh, our original idea was we were going to make um, them to order ourselves. Uh, this was before Apple had an MFI program, which we'll get into a little bit later, but we were making them ourselves. David mostly was actually making them, and David had built like a, a wooden jig to help us solder and, and seal everything up. So we had basically chosen 10 to 20 different colors of paracord that we had to make ourselves. And I launched the uh, Shopify store and put up pictures of each and set the quantity to 10 um, of each of them. But we didn't really have any quantity. We're just going to make them the order to mm-hmm. order. So uh, I posted on Facebook to my friends and family. And uh, the answer was crickets. Like literally <laughs> no one even visited the <laughs> store. Yeah. I, mean, I think, I think that's how most people launch is to crickets until you kind of figure out how to get it, your product in front of people. But a couple days afterwards, um, are you familiar with the Mac? Week. It was less was than it? a week. The, uh, the MacRumors.com website mm-hmm. uh, that was one that I frequented a lot, and I know a lot of other people did. And this was sort of right up their alley. <clears throat> and um, I left an anonymous tip because you can do that on their website to tell them about a product or, or a feature or whatever. And I said, hey, Paracable.com is making paracord wrap lightning cables. They're really cool. Check it out. That was on a Thursday afternoon. And that night, I got an email from one of the editors at Mac Rumors, who was very interested in the idea. And the story went live the next day, and then our lives changed forever. <laughs> Basically, the next day, it was it was insanity. Wow, so I'm assuming all of them were sold out the next day? Oh, yeah, yeah. everything, easily. Everything that I had put in, in stock was sold out the next day, and then um, we had to make them. <laughs> so uh, our, our initial plan of making a few a week and selling them sort of like an Etsy thing was kind of my idea, just a little bit mm-hmm. of extra income on the side. Uh, that quickly went out the window because we were getting 20, 30, 40,000 visitors a day. And it, it was just insane for a really long time. And we spent the first year just trying to figure that problem out itself right there. So did you have to, did you, did your product spread to other news outlets or was it all come from Mac rumors, these 20, 30, 40,000 visitors a day? So yeah, with, when a big blog like Mac rumors posts a story, then there are thousands of other sort of, um, aggregators that will mm-hmm. pick up that story as well. So you get traffic from a lot of different places and we still today, that was in 2012. Still today, we get traffic from that Mac Rumors article. Not near as much as we did, but we definitely still get traffic. Wow. From so obviously, there, this you had a great product and you had a, a, there's a product market fit because you sold out so quickly, got all this traffic, you got featured by one of the big publications in the space. But obviously, there's also some, some luck involved, right? Because you, you were able to submit this, uh, this um, anonymous, anonymous tip that got picked up. Do you find that this is, uh, could you replicate this kind of success? Like, would you be able to approach other news outlets and say, hey, here's this new product that we have? Did you try replicating it? 
I, th- I think that if your product is unique enough and the timing is right, it's fairly easy to replicate. Mm-hmm. But those are all a bunch of different stars aligning for that particular scenario. Um, it was right after Lightning Cables had come come out. It was a, a really new a new product. We were kind of the only ones um, making something like this. We had one main competitor at the time, um, but they weren't really big either. So uh, it was it was it really was a lot of luck. And, and as far as trying to recreate that, you can to a certain extent once you create these relationships with people. They're more um, uh, receptive to any new products you put out. So you can, you can use that going forward, but I wouldn't, um, <laughs> yeah, it is a lot of luck yeah. for, for that particular instance to happen. Yeah. Did you try, did you work, uh, did you have any other public, any other publicity or any other content that was written up about you guys from from Mac rumors at that time? Um, we had the one article from Mac rumors and then all of the other people who wrote about that article linking to that article, uh, Uncrate. Have you heard of Uncrate? Yeah, yeah, Uncrate. Yeah, definitely. I've heard of them too. Great uh, product photos and great features. So you guys got featured on there after the Mac Rumors post? Yeah, after the Mac Rumors post, a few weeks later, we were on Uncrate in one of their sort of, uh, they do those pictorial layouts of a bunch of different gear to like to pack when you're going camping or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one of those 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 camping pictorials. They had one of, we had a camouflaged paracord uh, pair cable back then that we no longer sell because it wasn't that popular they included the, the camouflage and did they reach out to you to to feature your product or was this they picked it up from yeah uh, so uncrate picked it up uh, there was a bunch of other ones that aren't as big as uncrate and none of them ever contacted us they just they just do it so you so you when you're looking through your website logs you'll see a bunch of different referrers of sites that you've heard of, but never ever, they don't really ever contact you. They just run the, the, the blog post or whatever they're doing. Gotcha. Which is great. It was great for us to have just, you know, um, random, uh, articles written about, about you. And for, for that effect, it was once the Mac rumor article went live, it was kind of a domino effect of, of everyone else seeing it from there. Yeah. I think that helps a lot where you kind of kick off this, publicity uh, snowball and just build on top of each other because you get validation from you essentially get validated that this that you're you're a cool story to cover your cool product to cover by one big publication and a lot of people are much more likely to you know quote unquote take a risk on on covering you correct yeah so that was pretty good validation that we had a good product and that was a there was a good market for it mm-hmm. so from there it was all about Figuring out a how to run a business because neither one of us have ever done this before, and then b how do we ramp up production to meet the demand that we don't even know what the end of it is yet. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that uh, one of the keys that uh, one of the keys now looking back on getting this publicity so easy was to not only have a unique product but also get the timing right. Like you mentioned, the timing was right for you guys because lightning cables had just come out. A lot of people were learning about them. A lot of people were, are are, are f- finding out about these kind of accessories that that people are selling uh, based on these lightning cables. Uh, what can you say more about this? Like what what is what else do you look for if you were to start over today and try to time it the right way again how do you know if you have the right time or not to launch a product well there's there's kind of one happening right now at the USB-C so um, anytime there's a major technological shift especially well in our business with cables it happens occasionally so um, with the MacBook 
came out and it was just one USB-C connector, that kind of, that was a moment in time to where if you had USB-C cables, then you could have capitalized on that. And then later when the MacBook Pro, the new MacBook Pro came out and had only USB-C cables, it was further um, uh, information that, you know, USB-C is definitely the future. Everyone's going to USB-C. So at that point in time, we've been working on getting our USB-C cables ready. We don't have them ready yet. We'll have them this year. Um, if we had them ready when the MacBook Pro was announced, then it would have been really, really easy to get a lot of coverage. Mm. Is there concern, though, that during this period of time where there's a lot of buzz around a new technological change or new technology being introduced, that there is a lot more competition to, that there's a lot more noise now that you have to fight through to get your product covered? Do you find that, or do you find that the buzz is just so much bigger than, than the noise? Well, since since 2012, we've grown a lot. We now have a, a, um, a public relations team that we uh, that we hired to take care of all of that for us. Um, that makes it a lot easier if you can if, when once you get to that level because they already have all of the relationships. Mm-hmm. And um, whenever we come out with a new product line, then they push that to all the people that they have their relationships with that have covered us in the past. That makes it a a lot easier. But um, we also have our own customer base to work with now. When we introduce right. a new a, a new product. First of all, let me just say that if you have a Shopify store and you're not getting people's emails, you're making a huge mistake. You need to have a mailing list. Even if you don't think that you're selling something that people are going to buy multiple of, uh, you need to have a, a mailing list. That That is your number one source of really easy income. Because mm-hmm. anytime, anytime I send out a promo newsletter or a new product or, or a new color newsletter, that's usually our biggest day of the month. Every wow. single time, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I've, I've been built. I've been building our our newsletter since the beginning, and so now we have, I don't know, sixty thousand people on there or something. So, when we we when we go out of stock of something and then it comes back in stock, I send out an email, and so everyone who's been waiting gets gets that email and gets and, and goes to the site and we'll order and we'll have really big upticks that day. Yeah. Definitely want to talk more about that in a bit, um, but jumping back to the, the publicist um, that you're working with, I think this is an, an avenue that a lot of stores are at too, where they're thinking about uh, getting help with publicity because it's such a, a, a huge beast, huge machine in terms of sending you traffic, but also the relationships are a big deal, right? So you're like you're saying, uh, working with someone that has uh, that that is like a PR agency. They already have those contacts for you, but what do they need from you? Let's say that they you're preparing for a launch, or maybe you already have a product out there, and you just want to get some eyeballs on it, and you approach a, a peer, an agency. What do they usually need from you? Like how much prep time is is involved? Or what's the process like? There's kind of a an introduction, an introductory phase where they need to see if your product fits with the sort of niches that they handle, and also as a business, you need to make sure that they're able to handle your niche, that they're familiar with it and they have the contacts for that niche. That way you know that they'll have placement for you. So the first part is, is, is finding out whether you're both a good fit for each other and uh, they'll ask you questions kind of like what you're doing right now is figure out what your story is, mm-hmm. um, where you've come from, uh, what your plans are. And then um, uh, our, my biggest problem with pulling the trigger on that is I kind of kicked the idea around for a long time and it is kind of expensive, but they, 
they have to prove their value or they wouldn't be in business. So in other words, if you're paying X amount of money per month for public relations and you don't make at least that much back from the work that they did, then there's no reason for you to continue that, that, um, that, that, that engagement. So they're really, really good as if they've been around for a while and making sure that they meet the ROI of whatever you're paying them and beyond. Mm-hmm. So, um, they normally what you want to look for is you don't want to be locked into a contract from the beginning. If they're going to try and lock you into a one year, two year contract from the beginning, I would probably steer away from that. Try to say, let's do a two month trial period. And so that you can make sure that you're getting out what you get in. But there's always a sort of ramp up period with, with any sort of PR campaign uh, because it takes time for bloggers and YouTubers and whoever to, um, to get back to them and then for you to get your samples to them and for them to write the review. So there is a, a ramp up period that you need to, to a lot for, but um, really important to make sure that they know your niche and they work within your niche and they know the journalists and bloggers and people within your niche that are going to get you traffic, traffic. Now, how do you determine that? Because you can't just be, you can't just ask them, Hey, are you familiar with the, the niche? And then obviously they're going to say yes. Are there other kind of questions <laughs> or things you can look at to determine, to, to determine like maybe independently that they are going to be a good fit? Well, what I did is I just asked for reference. I said, give me people mm-hmm. that are in this industry. And then I contacted them personally and talked to them about it. Mm, okay, makes sense. So when you get these contacts, that they these referrals, I guess that they're, that they're giving to you, and you reach out to them, what are you trying to find out? Like, what are you are you asking them? Or maybe you can tell me, like, what are you what are you asking these uh, other previous clients of theirs? So what you really want to know is the most important thing with a with a, a an e-commerce site is backlinks, right? So um, getting getting coverage in the local news station on TV is cool, but it's just for a very, very specific time period, and it, there's, it doesn't ever continue. Mm-hmm. But when you have a review written about you with backlinks to your website, those are there for a very good long time. And all of that sort of factors into helping you rank higher in Google. And the cheapest way to sell a product is organically by someone searching for it easily. So what you're really trying to do is build up your organic traffic in order to make your cost per acquisition as low as possible. What you're saying too is that PR is not just about getting that exposure, getting that your product in front of people's eyes. It can also bolster your SEO by having these backlinks uh, because exactly. you know, Google takes that into consideration. So it's not just about how do we get exposure, but how do we get this exposure that carries on for a long time. And you're saying that to, to get that, you have to make sure that the PR agencies are able to get you backlinks. Yeah, you want backlinks are the most important thing. You get the short-term burst of traffic and you get the long-term boost in SEO. I like that. Cool. It makes sense. I never thought about it that way, but that you might as well get someone to work for you, not just to get you that exposure, but then also an easy way for people to come back to your store or uh, easier way for Google to rank you higher because of those backlinks. So in terms of working with a PR agency, what kind of budgets make sense before even someone even should consider going that route? Like if you had a $1,000 advertising, $1,000 a month advertising budget, does it make sense to hire a PR agency? Does it, can you even afford one at that point? Yeah, it's, it, it needs to be considerably more than that. Our, aver- I st- our advertising budget started at around you know, $50 a day or something I played with on, on AdWords. Mm-hmm. 
And over the course of a year, that's ramped up to, you know, anywhere total between Facebook and AdWords, you're spending anywhere between 600 and a thousand dollars a day. Wow. Yeah. So, um, I, I ramped up to that point before I even started looking at, um, PR. And so you can imagine the cost, you can extrapolate the cost of PR yeah. based on that. So is it fair to say then that you don't even want to consider going to, uh, with a PR agency until... No, no, no. Your number, your number one thing you need to do is get your, your conversion rate as high as possible with the traffic that you got. Mm. Because if you're sending a bunch of traffic to a, a low converting site, then you're wasting money. So um, I, I A-B tested for like four months straight before I even thought about it. And this was through just like traffic that you're buying yourself? Yeah, traffic we was buying ourselves. Cool. Plus the organic and referral traffic. Nice. Okay, cool. So in terms of um, people that are not going to be able to afford this and want to go take this uh, PR approach themselves, any tips on how you can try to manage this on your, you know, based on your experience of doing it on your own and now, of course, seeing the professionals do it. Any tips that you can offer someone that's just starting out for the first time with a, a PR campaign? Like, how do you even find the right contacts, and how should you be reaching out to them to get the kind of coverage that 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 you were getting early on? Sure. So every sort of niche has a blogosphere that will write about that niche, and however big or small that niche is, the smaller it is, the more success you'll have. Obviously, getting bloggers to write about your product, and generally, um, what you'll do is find the influencer, influential blogs in your niche and just reach out to them and say, hey, I'm so-and-so, I've got this product. I think your listeners or your readers or if it's a podcast, whatever, might really appreciate it. You mind if I send you a few? And then don't really ask for anything. Just send them to them and then follow up a few weeks later and say, um, hey, did you get the whatever? And um, if you liked it, maybe write a, a, a short review about it. And some of these people, um, you're giving them an assignment, so they may not want to do that. It's a lot easier if you already have something written or like an outline that you can give them. I've read that helps a lot for them uh, to be able to to get the motivation to write about your product if they like it enough. Because we're all, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're just like you and me. They have they have a day job and then and then they're doing this on the side, so they don't normally have a lot of time to to spend on it. So try and make it as easy as possible for them. Mm. And uh, uh, sending samples is is really that's your that's your marketing budget is all of the samples you need to send out in that point in time. And so these samples that you're sending out, you, like you're saying, you're not you don't have any obligations at all in that initial email where you're sending to them. You're just asking, hey, can I send you free products? You're not saying like maybe you you can write a review about it if you like it or not. You're like you're not even mentioning anything about what they might have to do in return. Yeah, I, I I would phrase it more as like, I appreciate your content and um, we have this thing that's really cool that your listeners might also like and you mind if I send you some and kind of leave it there. And sometimes they'll just write it on their own. Sometimes they'll come back to you and say, hey, these are really great. We wanted to write about it. Can you give us some more information? Instead of um, trying to start out with a quid pro quo, just be like, I like your content. I want to give you this because mm. we think it's cool. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, because like you are giving a ton uh, right off the bat, right? You're giving them the free product. You're obviously saying great things about about them and not even hinting at wanting anything in return. Because I think people are smart enough to detect, oh, this is like a first, you know, me doing you a favor and hopefully you do me a favor back. I see what you're yeah. saying. And then in, in, in the bigger niches, they get that all day long from a bunch of different people of just 
can I send you this so you can write about it, please? Right. <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah, so when you are taking this approach where you are looking for bloggers and influencers to send the products to, that's your only marketing budget, like, like you're saying. Uh, but even when you're working at a smaller, even when you're at a small scale or you're, you're working this on the side, that can get expensive, right? Having that kind of inventory that you're sending out. is How do you become, I guess, selective enough about who you should be sending products to or is it something that you just have to pour most of your budget into and not think so much about the expense. I mean, it's easier if you know, if you've lived in your niche for a long time, like for this, for our product, um, I've been an Apple consumer since I've, for the original iPhone, I've had every single one of them. So I knew, I knew the market well, and I knew all of the, the blogs well, all the publications, the YouTubers, I knew it inside and out. So I knew who to look for to go to. Um, if you don't have that, then you need to spend a lot of time researching and figuring out what that is and maybe go check out reddit subreddits on that niche um they'll generate you'll generally get a really good idea of kind of the top influencers mm-hmm. for that and i mean it, it's up to you you're, you're going to go out and choose who you're going to send samples to so um the only people that will ever receive them are people that you would like for to write about them anyway and hopefully you've done your research and know that the their readership or their viewership um is generally um, goes after and purchases what they they uh, recommend, and a really good way that I some a, a metric that I use to find out sort of what their their viewership is is to look at their how many likes they have on Facebook or how many uh, followers they have on Twitter or Instagram or something like that. And generally, um, they'll have way more uh, Facebook numbers than they will Twitter or anything else. So Facebook is generally a good metric to see how many. Uh, people you can possibly reach if they were to write about your uh, product. Mm-hmm. And as you get more and more publicity, it's going to be easier for you to hit those larger, uh, those uh, publications with larger followings? Yeah, so uh, there needs to, one of two things either has to happen. One, you have to have a um, cool enough product for the, 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 the larger organizations to write about. Or there's enough of a sort of buzz, I guess, um, from some of the smaller publications that they may have come across it before and they recognize your brand and then um, then they'll write about it at that point. But, it, you know, everyone's different. It, it's just it's you, you just it's a numbers game. You, you send you, you talk to as many people as possible and a few of them will say, yeah, sure. But that, at a certain point, people then start coming to you and asking you for samples. Mm, makes sense. That's that's one of the uh, tables of turn, I guess. Um, so you know this publicity that you got, like you're saying, you guys did not have the plans to do this uh, at scale. You're just going to do these made to order, and you only had like you know tens of them ready to go. Or we're thinking about how yet raw ingredients or raw material for ten tens of products, but you had forty thousand visitors per day for a while. Obviously, this changed things for you. What 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 exactly happened then? Like, because if you only plan to do this do this on the side, all of a sudden you're getting way much way more traffic, probably more demand than you could supply for a while. What did you What did you guys have to change about your your lives to to uh, keep up with this? Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> David, you want to? David did most of that work during that point in time. Yeah. Oh geez, I don't even know where to start. Uh, well, we couldn't keep up with demand on our own. We we decided that in the first what two three weeks. Would yeah, you say that? Sure. Yeah. 
uh, right after that, we started, uh, where did we go first? Well, we, we started looking into manufacturers. Uh, yeah, locally. Locally, More, that's not, right. Not really manufacturers, just kind of assemblers, because um, we weren't making a, a certified, an Apple certified product at that point in time, because the MFI program didn't include Lightning yet, and we didn't even know about the MFI program. So we were looking for someone to take over what we were doing, which is basically assembling them, soldering them, and all of that stuff. And I found a local company here in Houston that seemed to be up to the task, and they did it for. What, a couple months, David, was it? Uh, maybe a month and a half. A month like and a half. And then they down. just they quit. <laughs> well, we, we had we had to force them to quit, basically. Yeah, they're um they weren't doing it nearly as well as we we were. So um then we were we had still had all this traffic and still had all this demand, but had no way to fulfill the demand. And at that point in time, um, I'm also an app developer, so I had all of the um the uh, iOS betas. Um, iOS 6 beta was out, and in the iOS 6 uh, operating system is when they first started giving you that notification that this may not be a authorized accessory and may harm your phone. Remember, you know what I'm talking about? The, the non-certified cables. So um, I was looking into MFI before that happened, and it was going through the process of becoming a licensee. And then as soon as I got the iOS beta and plugged and and plugged one of our old cables into it and got that message. I was like, no, we're done. We're st- we're not make- we're not making or selling these anymore until we have MFI cables. Mm-hmm. So we just completely stopped selling them and um, went through the process of becoming an uh, Apple certified MFI developer, which is a very very <laughs> long process. Yes, yeah, so let's talk about that. So Apple has this certification program where. By making getting this certification, you're officially a made-for iPhone, iPod, iPad product. Um, but you said that you didn't know that this pro- this program had existed while you guys were going about this. So does that, was that does that mean that was against their policy? Like, what does it mean when you are creating products that are not uh, MFI certified? So um, Apple has a patent on the Lightning connector, and the ones that uh, we had were obviously not from Apple at that point in time because it wasn't even possible. As soon as I found out it was possible, we stopped doing that completely. And I went through the process of signing up to become a licensee since we're not a manufacturer ourselves. And as a licensee, you then have to find an MFI certified manufacturer. And they give you a list through the uh, MFI portal of all of the manufacturers now, this is taking a long time, right? Because you have all of this demand, all of this traffic, but then you just don't have anything to sell. So what was uh, must have been aggra- pretty aggravating then? Um, it certainly can be, but um, we felt we were doing the right thing. We could have continued selling a subpar product, mm-hmm. um, but we didn't, and, and made money the entire time, but we didn't want to do that. We, our goal the entire time was to make a premium built to last, engineered to last, and also very pretty product. So we stopped doing that immediately. And we sure, we missed out on a bunch of sales. And it was frustrating to see all of the traffic just coming through and, and nothing happening. But we kept the site open. We set up uh, the, the newsletter so that any traffic that was very interested would sign up to our newsletter. And it's been, how long, how long did it take from that point in time until we had inventory again? Mm, over a year. Wow! Yeah, just so over a year. Over a year. Um, took two trips to China. <laughs> um, 
which I guess isn't that bad, uh, considering a lot of Skypes and, um, and then we had a Apple certified manufacturer building our product after many, 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 many back and forth samples of not getting it right and miscommunication and many hurdles. So many hurdles, Felix, that you have to get through to make it to this point. Yeah, it sounds like a, a huge journey. So how do you actually become an MFI certified uh, licensee? Well, uh, you get a Bradstreet's number. You go through a credit check. <laughs> yeah, for some reason. You go through a credit check, and then um, you you basically write out what your plan is, what, you, what you're wanting to build, and then then you're a licensee. And once you're a licensee, you get a licensee number, but then you have to partner with a, with a manufacturer. And like I said, we, we, it was a big, a huge PDF of all of the different manufacturers on, on the entire planet. None of them are in the United States. There's maybe two, but they're not contract manufacturers. They make their own thing for their own brand. All the contract manufacturers, the Apple certified ones are in um, Shenzhen, China. So uh, I had a short list of about 10 and we went to China and met. We sent them um, all the NDAs and everything beforehand, and the patterns, and um, the uh, the the samples. And we're we're expecting them to have samples made by the time we get there. Um, none of them did by the time we got there, but they had some stuff to show us, and we picked uh, the best candidate for the job from the seven that we visited while we were there, and then yeah. they got to work on it. We thought. Was the best. Yeah, we thought at the mm. time. Yeah. So, how did what, what made you guys decide to go all the way out there? To couldn't you just like uh, say, hey, send us the samples, and then we'll decide. Like, what made you feel like you had to go out to the um, to the manufacturers uh, directly? Building a relationship. Yeah, yeah. For it's, for them, building building a relationship is important. For for us, building a relationship is important too. So we're not just some anonymous entity wiring money back and forth. That mm. we know them and they know us, and and that we're we're, we're working together. And and we get to go up there and see the see what we're what the facilities are like and what the conditions are like for the for the workers as well. Plus, you know, you get a chance to go to China. You go to China. China is awesome. This is expense <laughs> for for that trip, right? So that that, that uh, definitely makes it much more attractive. Um, okay, so this uh, MFI program, you had to become a licensee, and then you had to find an MFI certified uh, manufacturer as well. Now, are you going to be paying a premium then for these manufacturers? Because obviously, there's a smaller list of manufacturers that are MFI certified than, than there are of all the manufacturers. So do you pay a premium uh, for MFI certified manufacturer? Yeah, certainly. But you're also paying a license fee for every single cable you make to mm-hmm. Apple as well. Mm-hmm. The, the actual individual lightning connector itself has a microchip board on it. And that actually comes from one of Apple's manufacturers. They send that to our manufacturer to, to put it together. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. It's, there's a there's a really long um, time in between when you order your lightning cables and when you get them because everything come anybody on the planet who makes Apple certified cables gets their connectors from the same place yeah. and they get back ordered a lot mm-hmm. so you really really have to think in advance for your um, uh, your inventory needs. Now you also sell uh, micro USB cables. Uh, I guess we can call it Android cables. Do you have to face this kind of uh, these kind of regulations as well when you're selling? Uh, I guess products for for Android devices. So there really isn't, but we made the decision to stick with the the same standard that Apple had set for their cables. We use that same exact cables cable in all of our micro USB cables. Mm-hmm. 
So even though they're not actually Apple certified cable, micro USB cables, because that's not a thing, they're using the same exact cable as our Apple certified lightning cables. Which is a step so, above on every level. The way above any other told level. told us not to do it repeatedly. We, we wanted yeah. to do it anyway. That's a good thing. Though. You're not forced to go through a different process, right? Because now you already have the, the cables, understand what kind of, regu- what kind of uh, standards that you have to meet. Luckily, they aren't like, you know, completely different standards than, than what you're already doing. Well, yeah, but what we're saying is um, there, there really isn't a standard with micro USB, but we forced our vendors to stick with. So when we make our lightning cables, we braid um, so many thousands of meters of cable, and then they take that cable and cut it up and solder to create the lightning cables. We use that same exact cable to make our micro USB cables, and that cable is what um, determines whether or not the end product passes the Apple MFI mm-hmm. certification because there's you have you have to send it to a lab and it's tested. And I see. So uh, no one makes micro USB cables to that standard except for us, as far as I know. That's amazing. Cool. So when you were going through this entire process of the MFI program and you like you guys were saying, it took a year to to essentially have everything all set up. Were there people or other companies or brands moving in on your space on the product that you had? It blew up. In the time it took us to get our inventory, there was hundreds of competitors. Yes, uh, all the big companies jumped on the bandwagon right off the bat. Yeah, every single one of them. And then there were um, a lot of copycats of those companies. And um, uh, we really we had maybe two competitors that we knew of when we started the MFI process and we were done. We had a sea of competitors. But... It doesn't matter. There's plenty of room for everyone to play. Yeah, and plus you were building that mailing list along the way. Now, were you were you uh, keeping that list warm? Were you emailing them during this period of time where in that whole year where there was nothing for you to essentially sell yet? I don't like to email the mailing list unless it's something really important because every time you do, you'll have people unsubscribe. Mm-hmm. So um, and generally, it's not a lot. But you kind of want to keep that to a minimum. You only want to you don't you only want to email. We email very rarely <laughs> because I want to keep that list building, and I don't want to take advantage of it, per se, uh, as some people do. And I've yeah, I'm sure you've dealt with this as well. Bed Bath and Beyond comes to mind. We'll send you an email every single day, and you're like, enough, I'm done. So we didn't want to get into that scenario, but we did get emails a lot, and we answered every single email, obviously. And um, I made occasional blog posts as to um, a few little updates here and there, but every single time I put in a hard date, it would inevitably be delayed for many reasons outside of our control. Um, I think at, at one point in time during that order, all of our micro USB cables were done and we were waiting for our lightning cables to, to be done by this particular mm-hmm. vendor. And we kept getting excuses every week, weird excuses. And, um, you know, we're, we're months behind when we thought we were going to get get our cables and it finally came forward that they lost their apple certification in the middle of our production run yeah so um we had to go to our uh, our backups and our vendor list and david convinced them to take over a project halfway and get all this other material from them and and and, and find out their vendors and and finish it and it was amazing it got done <laughs> somehow and um that was that was our first order was just chaos. Right in the middle but, uh, of uh, yeah Christmas season too. Yeah, we were right hoping to get it in. Yeah, it didn't happen. 
Wow, that that must uh, that definitely sucks. Um, I mean, I'm seeing on this site too. It says uh, on your site right now. It says uh, where are the lightning cables? And it mentions oh, yeah, that we're you guys have sold out <laughs> yeah, again. We're out of stock right now. That that's yeah. crazy. Uh, what, what what what? I guess can you elaborate on the the, the issue that that caused um, the the cables to? I guess that the issue with the suppliers because um, you basically missed out on the holiday shopping season this year. We sold everything we had left on Thanksgiving Day. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, David can tell you what happened. There, there's more to that one, but let, let's get back to uh, that last manufacturer. The first manufacturer, they of course lost their MFI license, and so we had to find the other one. We got that product, sold it, and we we were on a a good pattern. We were buying and selling product from this new manufacturer quite well, but we uh, what was it the the fulfillment center that we got? Oh man, yeah. Forget about that. We've had a roadblock at every single turn there is. Yeah. So our fulfillment center went to poop. Yeah, they were. They went from being amazing. So Felix, I should give you a kind of like an idea of our business. Me and David are the only employees, and we have a fulfillment center that the orders go from Shopify to the fulfillment center, and they. They pack, they pack and ship all of our cables. The, the first fulfillment center, center we had was amazing for six months. And then suddenly it went very, very bad very quickly. Uh, we started getting customers that were getting uh, only one quantity of two that they ordered or the completely wrong product or empty packages. Really, really bad stuff. And I kept giving them um, uh, a chance to fix it. And they'd tell me they fixed it and then it would keep happening and keep happening. So we had to find another <laughs> fulfillment center in the middle of that. And if you can imagine getting pallets of products from Chicago to Houston in the middle of trying to keep selling them, it was, that was a nightmare scenario too, that we got through, but our new fulfillment center is, uh, local it's here in Houston and they're amazing. Um, knock on wood, they've been very, really, now, really good. Quick question there. Now, with the fulfillment center, looking back on it, were there red flags that you, I guess, see now that that would lead to these all these issues with them not packing their orders correctly and you know selling the wrong products? Like, were there things that you see now, looking back, that you know to avoid moving forward? Well, what happened was the uh, the company was purchased by a larger company in the middle of our mm-hmm. service with them. And kind of from there, it went downhill. Um, I d- they were uh, they were listed on the Shopify app store, and uh, I'm not going to mention my, them by name, but uh, the, all of their reviews were five star reviews. Mm-hmm. When when I found them, it was they were great. They were fantastic, mm-hmm. and the re- the reviews held up because their service was fantastic. It's just at a certain point, I don't know what happened internally with them, and there was no way for us to know, but it just went south very quickly and we later found out that the reason why is because the company was a service contractor to other warehouses that they really didn't have control over so when there was a problem with a physical warehouse they didn't they don't have people there mm-hmm. to take care of that problem they just email the supervisor say here's a problem take care of it we didn't know any of that until after we had left and done more investigation so i, I guess if you're going to pick a fulfillment center make sure that they're not a third-party service supplier for other warehouses. Make sure mm-hmm. that it is a warehouse fully run by that company. Right. You don't want to be too far removed from the actual people doing the job. No. Well, for instance, it 
we our SKU was off by something like 1,200 items, like on the computer. They misplaced around 1,200 items one day, and it took two months to figure that out. Yeah, it was it was it was really bad. That's crazy. Okay, so you have this these issues with the fulfillment sensors. Um, those are all figured out now. Uh, but then, is there are there still also issues? Not not maybe not so much today. I think you have a lot ironed out. But issues with um, suppliers not holding up their end of the the bargain too. Well, it's kind of um, for this order that we're waiting on right now that should have been here for uh, the holiday season. We ordered in September, early September. We've been waiting on it since then. Um, it, we should have ordered it in October, and we would have had it by then. But it's one well, of those things. It's one of those things where their vendor, we're waiting on their vendors' vendors, which was mostly the um, the lightning connector itself was on mm-hmm. back order for a really long time, and they had no no idea when they were going to come in. They ordered them the day that we put in our order, and we, it just we, took a really long time. They were actually supposed to be in, in time for us to get them by uh, Thanksgiving, but they they got back ordered by the company that they're supplying them. You, you, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So was this this was an issue that was probably affecting all uh, suppliers yes, of this kind of cables. Okay, yeah, makes sense. Now you mentioned, um, I think uh, through our pre-interview questions, that one of the keys to your success are unprecedented levels of customer support and standing behind your product and your warranty. And you also mentioned that when you treat your most angry customers with loving kindness and respect, they become rabid fans. Can you say yeah. a little bit more about this? Like, what are some what are what does your customer support, um, I guess, look like to to create uh, rabid fans out of angry customers? If someone has a problem with um, a cable that they purchased from us, we stand behind it 100. percent um, It's really easy, and a lot of people expect uh, to jump through hoops when dealing with the warranty. But basically, this is how it works. Someone emails us and say, "Hey, I have a problem with the cable I ordered such and such day," and I say, "Sorry about that. Is your address still the same?" And I send them a new one. It's there's as easy as it can possibly be, mm-hmm. and so when people are uh, expecting friction in that process, they are angry from the outset with the expectation of having to deal with a bunch of BS. And so we get occasionally we get uh, emails from from customers that are very 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 angry, and um, I just put myself in their shoes and do the best I can to apologize and, and alleviate any concerns they have about the product and then just replace it immediately. And they usually get it in a couple of days and no one ever expects that. And the, the, the people who are the most vocal <laughs> about being angry turn into the people that are most vocal on social network mm-hmm. about how awesome the experience was that they mm-hmm. had with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's free. <laughs> All you have to do is just be kind. And stand behind your product. That and that's that is the one marketing thing that will always work. Like any tips and tricks that you have on AdWords or Facebook or Instagram, that changes weekly. But that will always work. Yeah, I like that you've identified that the most angry and vocal customers are also going to be the the most vocal fans once you convert them into a fan too. Because there's a type of person that likes to voice their opinion a lot, and if you get them on your side, it's that's free uh, word of mouth marketing. Um, now, when you see angry customers airing complaints publicly, let's say not even to you directly, but they're maybe using your name and you're able to identify or see that they're posting oh. about it online. Like, how do you approach that situation? Yeah. 
So a lot of people see that situation as a, a PR nightmare, but in actuality, it's an amazing opportunity uh, because when people see the brand publicly responding, uh, responding and dealing with the claims in a, in a kind way and, and, and making sure the customer is taken care of, people see that. Like you think that they're only going to see the negative review or the negative comment. Well, we're also going to see whether or not you commented as well. And I always, always like handle any of those situations, public or private, whatever. It's always handled. And when it's a public situation, then that, that generally it's for it's to your benefit if you can take care of it. Mm, yeah, they're almost like teeing you up for showing to for you to show your customer service. And yeah. if you're able to take advantage of that, like you're saying, I think a lot of times people are wary of buying from new brands or new stores online because they exactly, don't yeah. trust, they don't have that trust yet. But if they can see that you are, like you're saying, standing behind your product and your warranty or whatever else you're promising, that trust is definitely, uh, I guess, validated and makes them much more comfortable to buy from you. I think, yeah. I think everyone's experienced that too when you're going through Amazon or New Egg reviews on some product and it's generally positive, but the really, really negative ones, you see that the brand actually responded to that person and gave them avenues for remedying whatever problem they have, then that gives you um, a certain amount of satisfaction that if you have any problems, that it's going to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay, so other than um, obviously the the great um, customer support or responding to customers and making sure that whatever problem they have is solved as quickly and as easily as for them as possible, are there other kind of quick or maybe easy wins for people that they for people that can implement today or this week to improve their customer support? To improve their customer support, um, I guess that's up to the people in charge of that. So for for us. David and I handle every single email, every tweet, every Facebook comment, every Instagram comment. Everything is handled exclusively by either me or him. And so um, we kind of uh, are the best at it because it's our thing. Uh, and it's, it's prob- that's probably one of the last areas that I will outsource if I ever do mm-hmm. because it's so, so important. So I guess you need to make sure that um, if you're not doing it, whoever you've hired to do it knows your sort of um, idea around w- what needs to give and take with the customer. Because um, if, like, basically we just say yes. If if so, if a customer wants something, the the answer is the default answer is yes. We need to find a compelling reason if we're ever going to say no. And generally, that's someone is trying to scam us or uh, take advantage of us. And um, it's really easy to see a lot of the time. Uh, so I guess it, it, whoever you're hiring needs to know like your mindset around uh, taking care of customers. And a, a really good place to start is read Tony Shea's book, uh, Delivering Happiness, the CEO of Zappos. I think that that was probably the biggest um, influencer in the way that I handle customer support. I like how you said that pretty much by default, the, the any question any request from a customer is defaulted to yes. Because I think a lot of times whenever I have had experienced bad customer service, it was almost mm-hmm. like going to battle, right? It was almost like they're going to say no. I have to convince them no into yes. Like you already have all this building up in your head. 
that once you approach uh, customer support, customer service, uh, whoever's representing the company, if there is no friction at all, you're like, wow, that was amazing because I expected some, something so much worse. So if you just, uh, that's a great way to kind of delight your customers by making them, you know, appreciate that or basically showing that you appreciate appreciate them and having the action to back that up. Um, now, what about what about on the other side? What are some or any kind of common customer support mistakes that you see stores of big and small uh, doing that, that that they should be correcting? I think that the biggest um, mistake that I come across whenever I'm dealing with support is not allowing the person you're talking to to be empowered to take care of the problem. Uh, whenever it keeps having to be escalated to someone else who's empowered to take care of your problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the benefit of when you're dealing with me and David, like we're admins on the store, we can do whatever we want. We're all empowered to do anything we need to do in order to make the customer happy. Because that's the most important thing is not your system, not your hierarchy. The most important thing is to make the customer happy because without the happy customers, then you don't have a business. And like we have the opportunity to investigate every avenue of every email like all we, all we can pick the name the email address and then research all of that information on what what products they bought and what when they bought them and everything and it makes it easier to work with the customer that way when you know all the details and heck they don't even know all the details sometimes yeah sometimes you send it we get an email that's like hey i bought a cable once and it's broken and just from their email address we know everything from their their, their store history on our store at least and so we can say, yeah, I see you bought this at uh, this time and this date and uh, what seems to be a problem, what can I help you with? Instead of, hey, what's your order number or do you have the email, that confirmation email? You know, like just put the, 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 uh, the need to do all of the research on yourself instead of yeah. putting it back to the customer. A lot of back and forth. We try to prevent that as much as possible. Yeah, that also, of course, causes that, that kind of aggravation that we're just talking about wanting to avoid. You want to make it easy for the customer. You don't want to make it seem like they'll do all this work to even be before you can even help them or begin to help them. Yeah, we've all called the bank before when you have to put in your passcode with the keypad. And then they answer the phone and they're like, can you tell me who you are? Yeah. Like, what, did, what did I go through all that? For? Did I just tell you that? <laughs> for sure. All right, so cool. So, you know, tons of demand, of course, for the product. Lots of great publicity. Um, some issues that came up that were out of your hands on the supply side. Uh, but through all that, like, how, how have you been able to, or how much have you been able to grow the, the business since uh, starting? So, um, we, we really got started in 2013 is when the store opened. Uh, next year, we'll easily do over a million in revenue in 2017. We almost did this year, but we had many months without inventory. So next year, we easily do over a million. Amazing. So what are the, the plans for the, the next, or I guess for this whole year, this 2017? What do you guys want to focus on to, to hit that number? So um, we'll hit it with what we have right now, um, just because of uh, the sort of traffic that we get now. Mm-hmm. But uh, what will really push us beyond is um, USB our USB-C cables will be coming out sometime this year. And um, that is a huge market because we get three, four, five emails a day of people, when are the USB-C cables coming? Do you make USB-C cables? So that's another huge untapped market that we'll be getting into. And, um, and we have an amazing, amazing customer base of repeat customers that buy them as presents for their entire family. And everyone in their family has one or two. And... Um, it, it, it kind of blew me away because my initial idea was that this isn't really a repeatable business because once you have a cable, you have a cable. But I didn't realize that people wanted all the cables. <laughs> they want to collect them all, which is really cool. So we have a lot of um, 
um, the USB-C cables next year. And we have some other ideas that I can't reveal yet that will uh, probably come out this year. I keep saying next year. It's this year now, huh? That's great that you your business has turned into uh, to attract uh, the collectibles market, the people that want to just collect everything. That's uh, yeah. They don't need they don't need to have a reason to buy your product anymore at that point. Once they begin, they I guess feel like they need to complete the collection. So I guess that's what you're saying about how you still collect email addresses even if you don't have a product that you think uh, will have repeat buyers because you never know. You know, it looks like you have repeat buyers here, or at least you can um, get the product in front of them enough that maybe they want to collect them all in, in your case. Um, cool. So, uh, you know, thanks so much for your time, Travis and Dave. Again, paracable.com, P-A-R-A-C-A-B-L-E.com is the website. Anywhere else you recommend our listeners go and check out if they want to follow along with uh, what you guys are up to this year? Um, sign up to our newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It'd be uh, probably a good lesson for anyone out there that is an entrepreneur to learn about how they're using the email marketing to to um, to uh, reach out to these 60,000 people. That's amazing. Cool. So thanks so much for your time again, Travis and David. Yeah, no, well, thank, thank you. you. Here's a sneak peek of what's in store for the next Shopify Masters episode. We noticed that people would go to our FAQ page or our shipping information page quite often. So we figured that it wasn't, it maybe not, wasn't obvious enough um, because there's so much stuff to look at and your and your attention even when you're online shopping isn't, maybe you have like five tabs open or 12 tabs open, you know, it's we just wanted to really highlight that so people know you're, there is a free shipping option. And if we spend a little bit more, um, you know, we will get this offer. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.